Luke 1, verse 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The word of the Lord. Just one quick uh, Advent uh, prayer request for you. We are this close to finalizing the contract with uh, the corporate AAA people, uh, but things keep going back and forth. So would you just pray this week that we could wrap that up so we could start the next uh, phase of our journey? I had a, a young friend say, yeah, I was negotiating with a corporate company and it took a year to close it. And I said, get behind me. <laughs> you know, that, that is not what we want to do. So. Let's get this thing in there. Have you ever felt called on a path by God that you were, I mean, you were pretty sure that this is what God was asking you to do, but it seemed that he was leading you in a way that others did not understand or even affirm? Have you ever had that experience? That can be a very unsettling experience for a believer. And that is where we find Mary after the angel Gabriel visited her in Nazareth, announces that she, a virgin, will conceive a son, name him Jesus. The angel says, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary, a virgin, will give birth to the Messiah, the son of David, whose reign will last forever. Now, just to kind of understand a little bit of what this would have been like for Mary, let's look at a map of where Mary was when she had this dream. Um, she lived up in Nazareth, which was a sleepy farming village, had about 300 people in Mary's day, so roughly the size of our church family. So that's kind of where she was living. But, and you can't see it on the map, but three miles to the north was the thriving metropolis of Sephorus. Herod made Sephorus the capital city of Galilee. He invested great amounts of money uh, rebuilding the city. Josephus, the historian, called Sephorus the jewel of Galilee. It was perched on a hill. It was set next to two major highways. Urban renewal during this period had sparked an economic boom in Galilee during Mary's day. Today, you can go see the ruins. Uh, they still hold Herod's palace, an upper city, a lower city, a fortified city wall for protection, multiple synagogues, bathhouses, churches, aqueducts, a massive reservoir, a marketplace, and residential areas along a colonnaded stone paved street. 
Joseph probably worked in Sephoris as a carpenter or a stonemaker. Jesus may have worked in Sephoris as well. Tradition says Mary's parents were born there and that Joseph may have met Mary in the city. Now, what light does that shed on Mary's predicament? Well, Nazareth, according to the gospel writers, did have a synagogue. Jesus preaches in it several times. It would have been too small to have a rabbi, but it would have had elders. And so uh, Mary, remember, our church probably extended. It's about 300. Mary is pregnant in a community like ours, and the elders would have known about that. Sephorus had several synagogues, and it was an intellectual and spiritual training center for first century Judaism. A rabbinical academy existed there in Mary's day. Leading Jewish scholars from as far away from as Babylonia came to study. Scholars in Sephorus edited the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish law and teaching. And after Jerusalem fell in 66 AD, the scribes and the Pharisees in Jerusalem moved north to Sephorus to live. Now, I'm telling you that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were not living in a trailer in the hills. They were living in a suburb of one of the great cities of their day and one of the great centers of Jewish learning in the day. And uh, it took about an hour to walk to work, which Joseph probably did every day. Now, in that city of Sephoris, in the rabbinical academy, the rabbis hotly debated the coming of the Messiah, predicted in places like Daniel, Isaiah, Micah, and the Psalms. And they were not agreed on what the Messiah's coming would be like. Some thought he would be a great military leader who restored Israel to a nation state. Some thought he'd be a spiritual reformer and teacher of the law. Others thought that he would be a great high priest. Now, there's some fascinating material that uh, has been found in the Qumran community, which you can't quite see there, but it's over on the Dead Sea, and they found some scrolls there, and it gives a lot of insight as to what people were thinking at the time, and the, 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 the Q documents. The, this community, this Jewish community, thought that a great warrior angel would come and destroy the Romans, and didn't even have a place for the Messiah. So there was all, all these arguments going on, None of the arguments included a place for a virgin to conceive the Christ child. And so Mary could not have taken her vision to her rabbis and spiritual leaders for spiritual guidance. I think that's significant to just underscore how lonely this would have been. And think of it as people of faith when you love the great tradition, you trust your teachers, you love Torah, you love scripture, and yet God starts to do something in you that seems to go against some of the very things that you've been taught, and there's nowhere to go to talk about it. That's a very unsettling experience for a person. And if somehow she could have gotten a, a hearing, which had been very hard, women were not allowed in the synagogue, they were not thought to be able to understand the law. Rabbis were forbidden even to talk with them. If she had gotten a hearing, 
she'd have run the risk of being designated as a heretic. And while uh, Palestinian Judaism in the first century did not burn people at the stake like Christians would in the Middle Ages, they would excommunicate you. And so for her to share any of this with the spiritual leaders in her community would lead to Joseph losing his job and uh, for them essentially to starve. So this was a very lonely and isolating time for Mary. She had no voice, no spiritual director, no pastor helping her discern. Joseph certainly was a good man, but he was what the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures call an Aram Haaretz, people of the land. Probably didn't even read. He was just trying to make a living. He not, didn't have the privilege of studying Torah. He couldn't understand what uh, all this messianic interpretation. So she was entirely alone. And yet, she knew God had spoken. She could feel her body changing. She could feel the first stirrings of life within her. And so she arose and went with haste to see her cousin Elizabeth down south. And if you were with us in the, our study of Jonah, you notice that uh, when somebody arises in the Bible, usually something good is about to happen. Uh, he, she arises, she responds to the call of God. She says yes and starts to move. And sometimes the, the very best thing you can do when all you know is that God is moving and you don't know where it's going and it's not clear and you're not even sure you want to share it with people yet is just get up off the couch. Just arise. And the Greek word is the same word for resurrection. So there's a, a nice little kind of foreshadowing there. And, and it says that she, she goes with haste, which means with urgent or earnest diligence. So she, she hears the angel speak. When I was in Israel, we drove that road. It took about four hours in a bus. It's just about uh, 100 miles. Um, but it would have been a, a long walk for a 14-year-old pregnant woman. Uh, we don't know if she went alone or with a caravan. That would have been a common way. But remember, she's not Facebook friends with Elizabeth. She's never met Elizabeth. Uh, she's just heard that she's down there. Um, and, and she decides that the angel has told her there's one person in the world who might understand what God is doing in her life. And so she makes haste to go find her. And beloved, I, I just want to stress this. If you are in a place where you've been touched by an angel and maybe you don't understand it and maybe God seems to be moving in you in ways that other people don't understand or, or showing you things that other people don't quite see and you don't know what to do with it and it scares you, don't stay put in your isolation Find an Elizabeth, somebody you think might at least listen to you and make haste to go, to go be with them. Now, Mary could have done lots of things with this. She could have gone and found a Zoroastrian astrologer or someone outside of her faith tradition to say, look, I don't get this. Tell me what it means. But, but notice she does stay within the tradition of her people. She, she looks for a relative who is a, married to a priest. So she, she's trying within the great tradition to find someone to help her sort all of this out. 
so we can learn from Mary. When God seems to be speaking in confusing ways and others don't understand, find someone quickly who can help you sort out what you're hearing. Well, when Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, and we can go to the scripture now, it says that the baby leaped in her room, in her room, in, in her womb, and that Mary was, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Elizabeth was on her own wild journey with God. Uh, Luke has told us a little bit about that in chapter one. She's married to a, a priest. Luke says they were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And so Gabriel tells Zechariah that when he's offering sacrifices in the temple, that Elizabeth will bear a child to, to be a prophet. The stunned old priest asks too many questions. The angel shuts his mouth for nine months. Elizabeth conceives, and we read, and for five months she kept herself hidden. And the Greek word means utterly concealed. Now why? Why would she do that? Well, of course, the text doesn't tell us. I mean, her husband does have religious credentials. She's not saying she's pregnant with the Messiah. But, she, but she's been invited into the story of redemption in a way that others might not understand and so she hides until the pregnancy takes and she knows what's going on well when Mary finally shows up at the door you have this lovely scene of two women both pregnant both life bearers finding one another both responding to God's call and Elizabeth's baby leaps, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. See what happens when somebody says yes to God's call? See what happens in the body of Christ when one person who's trying to follow the Holy Spirit in courage and bravery moves towards another person who they sense is filled with the Spirit to discern the things of God the spirit in them awakens the spirit in the other and the, the little one, the dreams within them start to kick and move and life is born. That's why we move towards one another in the spirit. I remember when, when Sandy was pregnant with our children, that was just the coolest thing, at least for me. <laughs> Maybe not for you. We'd be sitting there watching you know, something and the little one would kick. And you could tell they were alive. They were ready to go. When you say yes to the Spirit, you bring to life the life in another being. That's why you're here tonight. That's why we come together. That's why we have small groups and coffee. Experienced a great illustration of this earlier this week, and I asked permission to share it, but... Um, Lindsay Bell, a young mother in our church, was asked by a small group she's a part of with, a, with a, mostly women who are older. And the, the leaders of the group noticed that she's a woman of joy. And they said, would you lead our next Bible study on joy? And Lindsay didn't see herself as a teacher. And so she said, no, I don't think I can do that. And they asked her again. And finally she said, well, I'll try. And she was very anxious. Finally said yes. 
And then she started to prepare like a teacher would prepare it. It didn't work. And then she said, what do I do? I create creative spaces. And so she steps back and she, as Lindsay, figures out how do I create an, an encounter, a space through creativity where the women in this group can engage what God says about joy. And I won't go into all the details, but if you know Lindsay, you can imagine there were crayons and colors and clipping things. And, and by the end of the night, there's this beautiful gathering of women around the table filled with joy as they experience the fruit of Lindsay's yes. Well, she's telling me this story. and I'm going, man, that's amazing. Matt and I talk later on in the week. And one of the things that Matt and I are are talking a lot about is this beautiful tension in our worship services in that we love tradition. We love the liturgy. We love the ancient church. We want to keep things the same. That's part of what we do. We don't want to innovate every week. We don't want to have game of the month when you come in. We want to sing the old songs and pray the old prayers. At the same time, sometimes we also want to mix it up and make it fresh like Matt did last week. And we want you to sometimes be anxious about coming to our church because you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we want coming here to be just a little bit uncomfortable. So on Sunday night, uh, the last Sunday night of our church year, we often do something called an examen. We go and we look back over the year uh, and see where God was working as we prepare for the next year. And I've done that in the past the way I always do it. I teach on it and tell you to go do it. Well, Lindsay's yes and the fruit of that yes awakened in me a vision for somehow creating a space on that last Sunday night during the sermon portion where we engage the discipline of examen in a more creative way as we try to discern God's path for the future. And I asked Lindsay to help us create that space. So her yes awakened in me a vision for a yes, which then will affect your yeses as you plan for next year. And of course, I think of Doug Martin. In the spring of 1976, God nudged my friend Doug to invite me to a youth group at his church. I went with him. I heard the gospel clearly. I began to follow Christ. Doug's yes led to my yes. My wife is reading a book right now called Atomic Habits. It's about how real change happens when we make small changes over time. And the author says that we tend to think that we need to make some massive shift in our life, to swing for the fences, to do something really huge and worthy of an Instagram post. But change doesn't usually happen that way. It usually happens with small changes over time. And we might say that spiritual transformation happens when you say yes to the small things over time. So will you say yes this week? Maybe even when you don't fully understand where the yes is leading you to. Because what you don't realize is you, by saying yes to that small little thing, 
to that invitation to reach out to somebody, to that desire to read a book, to, to just to decide to skip a meal and fast and pray, to, to talk to somebody, whatever it is. By you saying yes, you can set into motion a change reaction that affects thousands of people in the kingdom of God by one small yes. Would you say yes this week? Well, Elizabeth responds to Mary with a blessing that may be familiar. It's part of what our Catholic brothers and sisters pray when they pray the rosary. Um, Elizabeth says, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the, the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. That's the King James. And just to comment on that, Protestants are often troubled by the role that Mary plays in Catholic devotion. And, and uh, we're quick to point out that Mary is human like everybody else. Where does the idea that Mary's worthy of some kind of special respect come from? Well, it, it comes from this verse uh, and a couple other places. Elizabeth just says Mary's blessed among women. In other words, she's most blessed. Why? Because she is bearing Jesus, the Son of God. She's, yeah, she's human. She's not a God. But pretty special because she gave birth to the Son of God. And that's why our Greek Orthodox friends call her the Theotokos, the mother of God. They don't mean that she gave birth to the Trinity. They mean that she actually carried the Son of God in her womb. So we should respect her. Um, now, one other question about this. If you've ever gotten to go to Europe and gone into the cathedrals or Latin America, you'll notice that often Mary plays an enormous role in the art in those cathedrals and, and even some of the liturgical processions. And sometimes it can look like it's like all Mary and not much Jesus. <laughs> That's sometimes been my experience, and, and I don't always know why. I do know that Catholic doctrine does not teach that Mary is to be worshipped. As for why she became so prominent in the Middle Ages, I don't know. I have a theory. You want my theory? Here's what it's worth. It's worth what you paid for it. I think human beings have a desire to connect with the feminine side of God. And I think that Mary, at least symbolically or psychologically or subconsciously, points to the sacred feminine. And I think the reason why so many Christians have turned to Mary is they're, they're trying to engage with the feminine side of God. That's my theory. Well, Elizabeth is humbled by Mary's visit, but somehow she seems to understand that Mary's carrying the Messiah. She calls Mary the mother of my Lord. And, uh, and what's interesting about this is the angel did not say that exactly to Zechariah. So either Mary has told her or the Spirit has showed it to her. But what I want to point your attention to here as we draw near the end of the story is the profound spiritual insight that is being revealed not to the great rabbis in Jerusalem nor the scholars at the rabbinical academy in Sephora, but the two of the least powerful, least trained, least credentialed people in Israel, a teenage girl and an older woman. And those of you that are familiar at all with the scriptures, you know that you don't see this language of being filled with the Spirit until the book of Acts. It's Pentecost language. It's New Covenant language. It's a fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 prophecy language. And Elizabeth's experienced the filling of the Spirit. So it's a, it's a pre-Pentecost foreshadowing of the New Covenant breaking in. The church is breaking in on this 
older pregnant woman. The church mothers were in on the secret before any of the church fathers were. And again, I don't want to demonize tradition and religious authority. Mary's not rejecting tradition. She's not rejecting scripture. She's not rejecting authority. Uh, she does go to a, a priest's wife to figure all this out. But the keepers of the great tradition were not ready to hear the fresh word of God from the Spirit. The keepers of the great tradition were not ready to hear the fresh word of God from the Spirit. And so the most important insight, the biggest revelation in the history of God speaking occurs in a tiny house in the hills with two pregnant ladies and no trained religious professional around. What might that mean for us today? Well, again, I don't think it means to discount the role of the teacher in the church. I think it may mean that the inbreaking of the kingdom of God will happen in places we don't expect. It may mean that the wisest teachers of the future church may not always have degrees. They might be people on the margins. They might be black or brown or red or yellow or female or masculine or divorced or perhaps even struggling with bipolar or homeless. Maybe it will be those Christians that figure out what God is up to before the people with the doctorates get there. Well, Elizabeth ends with another blessing, blessing for her brave young cousin. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And the Greek word for fulfillment means completion, the purpose for which it was intended. And I really think that is a beautiful way to think about faith. God, Mary does not know what God is doing. But she has this hope, this confidence that whatever the purpose is, God will fulfill it. And I think that's hope. Hope is not, I know where this is going. Mary didn't know where it was going. And it wasn't free from suffering. This will include the cross. But she knows that her God will fulfill through her and through her son what he intends to fulfill. That's our hope. Our hope is not saving the world or saving the church or saving our brother-in-law. Our hope is that he will fulfill through us what he purposed to do in the first place. Let's pray.